11, 21 through 26. In addition to your own Bible, you may find it on the back side of your message notes or on page 787 in your worship Bible. Please follow along as I read. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad. He exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord and set his purpose. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. So, Bar so Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. This is the word of God. When I was a child, uh, I read the biography of Helen Keller. You ever heard of Helen Keller? Most of you have heard of her. Or maybe you've, uh, uh, she wrote a biography when she was just over 20 years old. The story of my life, which is just over 20 years old. That's what kind of amazing person she was. I found it fascinating to learn about this girl in the 19th century who, although unable to see or hear, had graduated from college and become a highly influential figure around the world. Helen Keller was both deaf and, uh, and dumb uh, and, 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 and sightless. She was not able to see or hear. And yet, in a time when, generally speaking, people like that were never even educated, she became uh, a famous person and, uh, and, and had a lot of influence in a lot of ways throughout the course of the early 20, 20th century. Uh, but what struck me most about Helen Keller's story when I first read it was not so much Helen Keller as Annie Sullivan. Anne Sullivan. I thought, this is amazing. This is not a story about Helen. This is a story about Anne, uh, Anne Sullivan. She was her mentor, her teacher, and her dear friend who spent 50 years alongside of her helping her to learn she herself had very poor vision and ultimately lost her sight too. But she invested her life in serving this young girl who was actually only 13 years younger than her. Uh, Anne Sullivan was 20 when she first met uh, Helen Keller at the age of about seven and invested her life in helping her. I remember reading about Helen's attempt to get a college degree and the terrible strain that it was on Anne's eyes to read to Helen the many texts that she needed to understand in order to complete her education. There were no resources for blind students back then, but she went to Radcliffe College and, and, and graduated from there at the age of 24. And it was because, among other things, Anne Sullivan invested her life reading for her, teaching her how to read, all this sort of thing. Anne, as you know, as you may recall, was herself virtually blind. She had had an accident when she was five years old, or had a disease when she was nearly five years old, and had been blind until she was about 14, had the surgery to give her some vision. She had very poor vision throughout all of her life, and ultimately, near the end of her life, returned uh, to, uh, to utter uh, blindness again. Helen was a hero, of course, but there was an unsung hero behind Helen's success. And it was Anne, or Annie, as she was often called, Sullivan, who rose beyond her own personal tragedies to become a gifted and skillful teacher. It was Annie Sullivan who devoted the final 50 years of her life to serving Helen and helping her to achieve her potential. Today I want to talk to you about the great honor that it is to be an unsung hero. 
a person behind the scenes, a person who helps someone in ways that others may never even know, a person who devotes his or her life to serving another person. Perhaps, like Helen, that person has some difficulties and disabilities, or perhaps as a husband or a wife or a child or someone that you work for. Many of you are unsung heroes. You devote yourself, your life, to serving another person. You make personal sacrifices to make sure that someone else's needs are met. Perhaps you are a, a parent devoted to the health and growth of your children. Perhaps you are a person devoted to the care of someone who is ill. Or perhaps your work involves providing support for someone else at your company. You're behind the scenes. You're often overlooked. Much of what you do doesn't get noticed by other people. You're an unsung hero. You participate in the health and wellness of a company, of a family, of a friend, of someone else, and you serve them. In these and many ways, you are unsung heroes. And so today, I would like to honor you today and to give you some encouragement from Scripture because often unacknowledged and unnoticed and taken for granted, it's easy for you to feel perhaps that what you do is unimportant or that no one ever really notices or won't really help anybody in the long run. But I want you to know that your role is vitally important, even though it can sometimes be a lonely role to fulfill. Today I want to encourage you unsung heroes. For today, we're going to look at one of the unsung heroes in the New Testament. His name is Joseph. But you don't know him by the name Joseph. His name is Barnabas. We call him Barnabas. Perhaps you noticed as Justin read the scripture for you, that there is a man named Barnabas. Very little is known about this man Barnabas. A few snippets here or there. In fact, I printed most of the references to him on the back side of your message notes in addition to the words that Justin already read for you from uh, Scripture. There's very little known about him, but his influence on the, the development of the early church was absolutely incredible and vital. Did you know that without Barnabas, we might never have had the Gospel of Mark in our Bibles? The Gospel of Mark might very likely never have been written except for the influence behind the scenes of a man named Barnabas. Did you know that without Barnabas we might never have heard of the Apostle Paul? We might never read any of his 13 books in the New Testament. It was the Barnabas who was significant behind the scenes helping both Mark and the Apostle Paul to become successful in the work that God had called for them to do. To God called them to do. Well, many of us, all of us probably have heard of the Apostle Paul or the Gospel of Mark in the, in the New Testament. We may never even have heard or know very little about Barnabas. He was an unsung hero. So I want to give him his due today. And perhaps in the meantime, we can learn some things to help us along the way as we serve people, the important people in our lives, in our work, in our neighborhood, and in our homes. You probably heard his name mentioned when Justin read the scripture for you. You may have observed in the text that he read for you that Barnabas was sent to a, a church in Antioch to take a look at what was going on there. And that later, after liking what he saw, he went and found his friend Saul, who later became the Apostle Paul. He found his friend Saul and brought him to the church, and together they began to teach there in that church. And the first place where people were ever called Christians was there in that church of Antioch. We're going to take a look at that part of the story in a moment, but I want you to see a little bit of backdrop to, uh, to Barnabas' life. We need it a little bit earlier this week. So we're going to take a quick look tonight, this morning at Barnabas, his life, 
his influence, his ministry. Barnabas, the unsung hero. We're going to take a look at four different episodes in his life. And as long the way, we'll learn four things about how to be an unsung hero. Because becoming an unsung hero means being willing to practice self-giving love, grace-affirming love, risk-taking love, and mercy-giving love. All four of those are evident in Barnabas' life. Self-giving love, grace-affirming love, risk-taking love, and mercy-giving love. Well, let's consider this in four different episodes. When we first meet Saul, uh, Barnabas, we meet him in the fourth uh, chapter of the book of Acts. And in this case, we learn that Barnabas, and you can just see your first fill in the blank, Barnabas encouraged the Jerusalem church family. Barnabas encouraged the Jerusalem church family. We meet him at the end of Acts chapter, uh, Acts chapter 4. Here's what it says there. Acts 4, verse 36. Thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. See, Barnabas was his nickname. What was his nickname? He's an encouraging guy. His name was Joseph. But they called him Barnabas. And we're going to see that that is true throughout his life. Called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and sold it, excuse me, and laid it at the apostles' feet. We see that Barnabas, Joseph, as he was first called, was a new believer, like all of them in those early days of the church. And the Bible tells us that he wanted to encourage the church and those who were living among it. So he sold some of his property and came and laid it at the apostles' feet, essentially saying, do with this what you think is best to serve this church family. And he sold it. And it was such an encouragement. You see, the result of his action was that Barnabas set the tone for the whole church as a loving and sharing community. We know of the early church as a community where there were no needy persons among them, where everybody took care of one another, where they were known by their love for one another. Those are the things we find out about this church in its earliest days. And the supreme example of that that's given in the scripture is Barnabas. He was the guy. It seems as though Barnabas was something of an image setter, a tone setter, someone who set the tone, and he set the example, and others followed. Have you ever noticed if you're in a group of someone and someone starts to just be complaining and bitter, everybody is complaining. Yeah, that's right, it's terrible, terrible. Have you ever noticed me in the same group and someone starts saying, "Man, wasn't that great? Wasn't that great?" Everybody says, "Yeah, that was great." You we set the tone, and Barnabas set the tone by saying, there are needs around here. I've got some land. We don't know much about this land. We know that Barnabas was from Cyprus, and he was in Jerusalem, and perhaps he sold land back in Cyprus that he didn't need because he said, I'm going to stay here in Jerusalem. This could be my own. I don't need that land over there, okay? Or maybe it was land that he had there in uh, Jerusalem. But in any case, he sold land, and he is an example of self giving love. That's the fill in the blank. He is an example of self-giving love. Notice it says about him that he was a Levite, a native of Cyprus. A Levite means that he very well may have been actually a practicing priest in the Jewish religion. That was the group from which the priests came. 
And it's very likely impossible that he already knew the Apostle Paul. We don't know. He's probably, though, one of the first converts to the church. He's probably one of the first people to see, oh, my goodness, what we've been longing for and waiting for all these years was fulfilled through Jesus. And when he saw what Jesus had done, he couldn't help but give himself not just to Jesus, but to Jesus' word. And he, he practiced self-giving love. It seems as though Barnabas was part of one of the more well-to-do families in the church as well. We learned later that he was a cousin to Mark, the guy who wrote the Gospel of Mark, and that when the church met in the early days, maybe the, the headquarters of the church, we don't know, was at Mark's mother's house, which would be Barnabas's aunt, right? Uh, and in Acts chapter 5, we meet her, we meet there. Some have speculated that maybe she had the upper room in which Jesus shared his last meal. We don't know, but... They, they seem to have been a prominent family, and they used their means to serve the church family. Yes, we need to learn, if we want to be true unsung, unsung heroes, we need to learn to practice self-giving love. You know, Annie Sullivan did that. She was only 20, 21 years old when she got hired to go provide care for this precocious young girl who had lost her, uh, her sight and her hearing at, the eight, at 18 months and it was totally out of control, and she went and served that girl. She taught her everything that she knew. She helped her learn how to read, how to speak. She <coughs> it's amazing. I was thinking about this yesterday. On things you can do nowadays, you can actually go to YouTube and hear Helen Keller speak. She could not hear a thing, see a thing, but she had learned how to speak. And uh, she said, "A great tra in this time, uh, listen to her. She said, one of the great tragedies of my life is not that I'm blind and." and deaf, but that I can't speak normally. Because she knew she couldn't ever learn how to speak well, but she did. Well, it was because of Anne's sacrifice for her. And when she went to college, it was Anne who spent time reading those texts. And you think about it, she's reading them and translating them into Helen's hand. That's what she's doing. The whole way through college. She practiced self-giving love. You know, we live in a very self-centered society, We don't, don't we? It's all about you. Uh, commercial on television, it's all about you. Right? If you watch baseball, you hear that sometimes. Um, uh, and we want to think, yes, it's all about me. And, and uh, every restaurant and every uh, business trying to say, we have what you need. It's all for you. It's not the, it's, it's the iPhone, the iPad, right? It's all about you. And churches make mistake of saying it's all about you, too. And yet, true help comes not from anybody. Forgiving and serving. Jesus himself says, more blessed to give than to receive. We all know that when we come into a place seeking to serve and to give and to, and to be a blessing to others, we find ourselves being blessed. And when we, in our unsung hero mode, are called to serve, it's not always easy. It can be hard to get up when we don't want to get up, to go where we don't want to go, to do what we don't want to do, to pay for what we don't want to pay for. All of those things. But when we do practice that self-giving love, we are becoming a true unsung hero in the spirit of Barnabas. So you might want to ask yourself, in your unsung hero situation, what can I do to practice self-giving self love right here, right now, in my work, in my neighborhood, with my friends, in my home, in my church? 
Self-giving love is the first characteristic we see in Barnabas, the unsung hero. The second characteristic we see in the second part of this story, as we pick up Barnabas in the story which Justin read for you, we see there are two aspects of Barnabas that we see in this section. The first thing that we see, and this is the second main full of blank, is Bar Barnabas encouraged the Antioch church family. That's a hard word to say, isn't it? Antioch, right? Antioch church family. And here's what had been going on. The church had been going on for a few years, and it had been entirely a Jewish congregation. Uh, all the people, virtually all the people in the church were Jewish background. Some of them had Greek-speaking background, some of them lived in Judea, but they were all Jews, and they continued to live like Jews, really, while being a follower of Jesus. But when the church, and you can read in that text there, the, the larger context of that church, that when the church uh, persecution came, people were scattered, someone in the... Antioch area and men of Cyprus, um, men of, let me make sure I get this right, uh, men, um, as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking to no one except Jews in verse 20, but some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, yes I was right, men of Cyprus and Cyrene on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also preaching the Lord Jesus. This means that these people who were from Cyprus and Cyrene up into Antioch began to try to share the good news about, the good news about Jesus with non-Jewish people. It had been done a little bit before this, but not on a massive scale. And so a whole church started up there in Antioch made almost exclusively of people who were not Jewish people. Well, this was brand new. It never happened before. At, like a church up at, means at, a, at, a, at a saloon. What's going on up there at Game Creek? Is that a real church or what do you do up there? Send someone from headquarters up to check it out, right? That's kind of what's going on. So they sent someone up from Jerusalem. We would say up, it was north. But they would say down, because everywhere you went from Jerusalem, they called it down, okay? North to Antioch, and who did they choose? But Barnabas. Barnabas was the guy. And so it says they sent Barnabas. Report of this, verse 22, came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem. They sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he came, he saw the grace of God, and he was glad. And he exhorted them all to remain faithful and to the Lord with steadfast purpose, for he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. Barnabas encouraged the Antioch church. Now, it's hard for maybe you and I to imagine because we think, oh, he went up there and he saw something pretty normal. But I believe he saw something very bizarre to himself. You know, remember, let's say you're someone who grew up in a church where there was a choir with ropes and an organist who played, and it was all very formal, and everything was written in the program, and that's just what you associated with church, right? And that's how you thought church was done everywhere. And then you move to the city, uh, or to another city, and you go into this place, and you go in there, and there's no printed program, there's rock and roll music playing, there's bass drums, and it's like, what in the world is going on here? And so you see that kind of experience, except more so. These people did not know how to live like Jews. I'm sure you know, Jews were, people were very fastidious about their cleanliness laws and propriety, and they would have carried that into their worship. They would have come in, I'm sure a lot of those women weren't dressed properly. I'm sure a lot of those guys didn't say the right words. They probably had some of their language that just wasn't appropriate in Jewish, Jewish culture. But Barnabas went up there that he didn't see the mess. What did he see? He saw the grace. He saw the grace of God. Often, it's what we look for that we see. See? Sometimes we're just looking for negative stuff, and that's all that we see. 
when Barnabas went up there, he saw evidence of the grace of God. He might have said to himself, man, I don't like the way these people smell. I don't like the way these people talk. I don't like the way they do worship. I don't understand a lot of what they're going for. There's one thing I can tell. These people love Jesus. They committed their life to Jesus. And with that other stuff is all secondary. And he was joyful as he saw it. And it, you know, he's a Levite. He was possibly a priest in the Jewish religion before that he comes in. And suddenly he sees something altogether new. But he saw evidence of the grace of God. And by affirming that church, see, he was the official representative. That whole movement could have been squelched if the wrong guy got sent up there, right? It could have been squelched. But Barnabas went up there, Joseph, the son of encouragement. And his action paved the way for the gospel to spread to every ethnic group around the world. Because he did not say, stop, we've got to become Jews first before we can follow Christ. He didn't say that. He said, these people need to be taught. I've got to help them. But I can see evidence of the grace of God. So the application here is that he practiced grace-affirming love. Grace-affirming. You know, as you and I face the difficult moments when we're in the middle of difficult situations, we're acting like unsung heroes, we need to look to see the grace and not get stuck in the mess. It's easy to see the mess, isn't it? It's easy to smell the mess. It's easy to focus on the mess. And it's easy to miss the grace of God. And so we're doing something perhaps very difficult as we serve the people we care about. And if we're not careful, we'll only see messes to be cleaned up rather than grace to be poured out. You know, when Annie Sullivan showed up to take care of Helen, no one had any plan for her future, really. Her father wanted someone to teach her, and Annie came in, and uh, she saw this girl's potential, not her limitations. She herself had been a girl who was refusing to be limited by her own limitations. Annie Sullivan was orphaned as a young child, abandoned into an almsgiving school, was never going to be educated until she begged one day when she heard there was a school for the blind. She herself was that blind. And she begged, will you please send me to that school for the blind? She shows them at the school for the blind. Most of them are wealthy children from wealthy families. She's got nobody, nothing. She doesn't know how to read or anything yet. She's 14 years old, and she's got to find her way through. And she refused to be defined, to be defined by her limitations so that she graduated as a valedictorian a few years later from that school. And then when Helen Keller's father said, contacting actually Alexander Graham Bell, the guy who invented the telephone, and said, I'd like someone to help my little girl. He told him about the Perkins School for the Blind, and the Perkins School for the Blind sent Annie Sullivan to say, would you go help her? And she became the teacher for that little girl, and she saw potential, not power. If you want to be an unsung hero, Learn how to see the potential in others rather than their limitations. Learn how to see the evidence of the grace of God in that situation, not the evidence of the mess. Everybody sees the mess. Barnabas saw the grace. So Barnabas encouraged the Antioch church family. Number three, Barnabas encouraged his friend Saul. Barnabas encouraged his friend Saul. So we see that when Barnabas shows up there, 
it says that he uh, he was a verse 24 where I let it he was a good man full of the Holy Spirit and of faith and a great many people were added to the Lord then it says so Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul and when he found him he brought him to Antioch and for a whole year they met with the church and taught a great many people and in Antioch the disciples were first called Christians Barnabas was there we can't go into a lot of detail. We've talked about it maybe a little bit in previous weeks, but if you recall, Barnabas had already had a connection with Saul. And when he saw what was happening there in Tarsus, he thought to himself, I believe he thought to himself, this is exactly the kind of church my friend Saul was dreaming about 10 years before. Where is he? I've got to go find him. Well, the last that we met Saul in the chapters before this, we found that he had been in Jerusalem and apparently had caused so much trouble in Jerusalem as a brand new convert, he had been sent off to his hometown of Tarsus. So that's why Barnabas says, I'm going to go find Saul. And it says he, he, uh, he went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And the implication underneath the, the original language of that text is that he had a hard time finding him. Because Saul had been a follower of Jesus. I'm assuming he had been disinherited by his family. He goes to Tarsus. Uh, he can't find Saul. He finally finds Saul. Whatever he's doing, probably doing ministry in an obscure way up there with little success. And Barnabas says to Saul, the church you dreamed about is happening here in Antioch. Come and open it. And so now Barnabas invites Saul to be a part of what is going on. So we see here that, uh, that Barnabas... Barnabas's action opened the door for the greatest theologian in the history of the church, the apostle Paul, because Saul soon began to be called Paul. This wasn't the first time Barnabas had practiced encouragement for Saul. He had done it right here by bringing him into that church, but he had also done it some 10 years before when Saul first showed up in Jerusalem. In the ninth chapter, you can look it up, uh, I think it's in the 26th verse and so. Um, <coughs> When Saul shows up as a brand new convert who had been persecuting the church, he says, I'm here to be a part of the church. And a lot of people say, yeah, right, I can believe that. You just want to get the names of all our leaders so you can bring them before the authorities. No one believed him except for, the Bible tells us, Barnabas. I'll vouch for him. Barnabas practiced a risk-taking love. A risk-taking love. He did it twice. And so as a result, Barnabas, excuse me, Saul was brought into the fold. He became Paul. He became a great missionary, a great theologian, and wrote nearly half of the New Testament. He himself was so poor, but he owed a lot of that to the encouragement of a man named Barnabas. Yeah, and yet Barnabas had to take risks. What if he was wrong? What if he was wrong? We minimize that risk. But Barnabas must have known that it existed. And if you're going to serve people well, you've got to be willing to take risks. Some seem to do things they don't understand. Some are going to make decisions they don't understand. Some you have to go on behalf of them towards other people and fight some battles for them that are difficult for you and hard to come through. And yet, love acts, acts in ways that takes risks for other people. Even Annie Sullivan did that as she took care of Helen Keller. You know, she had been taught in a very structured way about how to teach blind and deaf children to talk or to, to read. 
And she discovered early on that that didn't work with Helen. And so just, she just kind of followed her around and began to interpret for her all the things. And, uh, and, uh, and she also discovered how she could teach Helen to teach. Uh, and what she did, it, it, she, it, it's beautiful to look on YouTube to see this. Um, she described, she has Helen do it. Helen's got, you might see pictures of Helen, she's got her hands on Annie's face. Have you ever seen it? That's because that was how she could learn how to speak. Each, she touched her throat and her, uh, her, her lips and her nose, right there. And, and in each case, she could feel different. She'd hear, I don't know, you watch the video, you'll see. But the thing is, Annie invented this because she wanted to help Helen learn how to speak. Because Helen wanted to learn how to speak. She took risks. And the question to ask yourself, what creative risk-taking ideas might I implement in my role as an unsung hero? What risks might I take to go to bat for the people, the causes that I believe in, the things that matter to me? What must I do? You see, and we have to be willing to take risks. And number four, Barnabas Curtin encouraged his cousin, Mark. His cousin, Mark. We have to fast forward a little bit in the story to the 15th chapter to get this. But what you see happen is that not long after they had been working together in Tarsus, Barnabas and Saul were sent away to plant churches all around the Mediterranean. And soon they took with them Barnabas's cousin, John Mark. And the Bible makes a simple note a few chapters into that. and says John Mark left them in Pamphylia or wherever it was. We don't know much about it. They said that later, Barnabas and Saul returned back to Antioch. And later they said, let's go on that mission trip again. Let's check the churches out. And Barnabas says, this is found in the 15th chapter, Barnabas says, yeah, let's go and let's take Mark with us too. But Saul, Paul now, says, I'm not going to take that guy. He left us last time. He's a quitter. We're not going to bring quitters on this mission. And they had a fight over it. Barnabas and Saul had a fight over it. Barnabas says, I'm not going without my cousin, Mark. So Saul apparently says, all right then. You go your way, I'll go mine. You take that loser. I mean, paraphrasing. And I'll take Silas. I can trust him. Here's what the Bible actually says. Acts 15, 36. And after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, Let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. Now Barnabas wanted to take with him John called Mark. But Paul thought best not to take them. But Paul, but Paul thought best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone on with them to the world. And there arose such a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers the grace of the Lord. We can talk about Saul and his lack of offering, offering second chances to the same guy who'd offered to him second chances. But let's not get into that. Except to say he wasn't a perfect person. Don't think he was. But Barnabas said, I want to take my cousin Mark. I see potential in him. And sure enough, Mark who was a faithful companion to Barnabas. And then later, early tradition is that he was a faithful companion to Peter and spent time with Peter. And then later, it was that same Mark who wrote the Gospel of Mark in the Bible, it, assumed by most Bible scholars to be the very first Gospel written of the four. Mark. But you wonder, what would have happened to Mark if he hadn't had a Barnabas in his life? What would have happened to Helen Keller? If she hadn't had penicillin in her life. You see, 
Barnabas's action allowed a failed missionary to write the gospel of Jesus Christ, the gospel of Mark. And so we see Barnabas finally as an example of mercy giving love. Mercy giving love. Yes. An example of that mercy giving love that he had received and began to offer. These qualities of self-giving, of grace-affirming, risk-taking, mercy-giving love are great qualities. Where did Barnabas get the strength and the fortitude to offer to these in such an incredible way? No doubt I'm convinced he found it in none other than Jesus himself, his ultimate hero. Because he knew that he served a Jesus who had practiced self-giving love, didn't he? A Jesus who had given his life for him sacrificed himself. So Barnabas must have said, Jesus sacrificed for me, I can sacrifice for you. He knew he followed a Jesus who offered grace dispensing, grace affirming love. Jesus offered to him so much more than what he deserved. He wanted to offer grace to everybody he could find. He was glad that Jesus looked beyond his mess and saw the opportunity to provide grace and he decided that he would do that for others. He let that happen from Jesus in him. And he practiced risk-taking love, I think, in part because he saw that Jesus did that. Look at the tremendous risk that Jesus took in coming down and allowing me to even reject his love. He took those risks. And mercy-giving love that Barnabas experienced from Jesus who would give him forgiveness for his past. No doubt, Barnabas was able to be such a great unsung hero because he found a greater hero that help him to look different. So as you seek to be a faithful girl wherever you are, don't try to do it by mustering up more strength. I'm guessing you're using all you got right now. Do it by looking to the one who provides that strength, by surrendering your life to Jesus who surrendered his life for you, by receiving the grace from Jesus who offers his grace to you, by taking the risk of trusting in him, the one who took the risk and died for you, by receiving the merciful forgiveness of his which he then now allows us to give to others. What a great way to become an unsung hero. That's crazy, folks. Lord Jesus, we're so grateful and indeed thankful that as we think about these qualities of this man named Barnabas, we don't have to simply admire and seek to emulate him, though he is certainly an admirable and worthy figure to be emulated. Though we recognize that what motivated and gave to him that strength was that he was a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. It was the Holy Spirit in him, the power of Jesus in him, that allowed him to, to be selfless, graceful, merciful, risk-taking, adventurous. I pray that you help us to respond to that love and allow that love to flow in and through us in a world that desperately needs to see that kind of people. Help us to do that in our own spirit of influence. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen.